1: Welcome, welcome to episode 27 of the Knowless Past podcast, presented to you by wrspn.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, aka my mom's favorite son, who proudly casted his vote for New York native Spider Man today. And I have my co host with me, Andy Flynn. Flynn, what's good?
0: I just want to shout out Kawhi Leonard for never showing one lick of emotion, no matter what. Stick with your strong I want shout out, friend.
1: I want to shout-out Kawhi Leonard for buttoning the top button while he got presented his award, which is just a lost art in, in the uh, fashion industry. Shout-out to Russell Westbrook. But we are going to start with our outlet pass, and we are going to get to Kawhi Leonard a little bit. And then we just want to go through the playoffs a little bit. There's so just some quick impressions of what's happened so far. And then also we have our predictions for what we thought was going to happen in the first round, which we put on our Twitter account, at NLP Podcast. Um And we're going to go through sort of what we thought was going to happen compared to what has happened and whether we want to change our votes. But we'll get into that, but first, we do have to get into the awards that were awarded so far in the season. Jamal Crawford and Kawhi Leonard have won six-man and Defensive Player of the Year, respectively. I don't think anybody really thought Jamal Crawford won Defensive Player of the Year, so I don't know why I had to clarify But two of our favorite <laughs> players in the league, obviously, Andy, so we wanted to congratulate them and get some quick thoughts. Um, I was personally surprised about Crawford. Uh, How would you feel?
0: I mean, yeah, I'm not. I, at this point, I think it's it's crazy to be – surprised if Jamal Crawford wins the six-man award. It is, after all, the Jamal Crawford award. I feel like one of these sure. days, it'll kind of be like Jerry West with the NBA logo. They'll just change the trophy to like a silhouette of Jamal Crawford pulling up from like 60 feet. Um, as far as Kawhi, too, that's it, more of the same, but Crawford, I don't know. I mean, I went for a stats guy. Uh, you had went for Andre Iguodala, I believe. I, I was talking Ryan Anderson when we, when we predicted these, but I- Jamal Crawford. I mean, it's it's he's in the mix. The Clippers made the playoffs. Um, I think some of that probably has to do with the fact that they did so without Blake Griffin. You know, who's arguably their best player. And and you know, Crawford. How old is Crawford? Thirty six, thirty seven.
1: Yeah, you, you're you're the guy who always has the ages. I was expecting you to know how old he was. I think you said thirty five when we when we did the Clippers because we talked about yeah, how Jamal Crawford is just the same player that Jamal Crawford's been since he got into the league. He just still has that little uh, put you to sleep dribble and then he just pulls up on you i was just surprised in the sense for the reason that that you sort of brought up is that he it he, it is his award he does sort of he's always in contention and he always wins it and i think when you have that sort of situation i'm always expecting them not to give it to that guy it's sort of like how we talk about lebron with the mvp back in his prime it's or michael jordan even you know when they gave uh carmelo and i believe won an mvp and it's sort of like you know, we're we're sort of giving it to the to this guy because we don't want to just keep giving it to to the person that always wins it. So for that reason, I thought there was other candidates and maybe it was sort of more of a down year for Jamal Crawford in terms of the 6 Man Award. So for that reason, I thought he wasn't going to win. But obviously, uh, I was incorrect. Did you have? Did, I think we both picked Kawhi to win Defensive Player of the Year. But were you surprised that there wasn't that Draymond didn't win it?
0: No, I'm I'm not surprised. Um, I chose Draymond last year, uh, over Kawhi, but I it was one of those things where Kawhi won it and, you know, I, I thought he was just as as deserving as is uh as anyone and, and this year it's the same thing. I, I think Draymond Green is another guy that if he would have won it I, I would have, you know I, I think I would have been a that. little more upset this year if Draymond won it over Kawhi than I was last year that Kawhi won it over Draymond just because I think Kawhi Leonard this year not only was the impact there night in and night out I feel like we saw it a little more on SportsCenter some of his dazzling plays and he's almost kind of making defense cool again and I think one thing that might play against Draymond and I you know I said this before is when you have the all the wins and you're thinking a guy like Steve Kerr is in contention for coach of the year and Steph's obviously running away with the MVP I think somebody like Iguodala for the six-man might get overlooked a little bit, and maybe the same thing with Draymond Green, although I thought he was right there with Kawhi all, all along.
1: Yeah, those those are all good points. I, I feel the same way. I mean, I think it was it was Kawhi's sort of a war to lose, and I think just the fact I'm I'm curious how he works out in the most improved player as well. But we're going to move on to our, the rest of our show where we really want to focus on the playoffs. First, we're going to talk about sort of what's happened so far, in the Game 1s, and then we sort of want to get into our predictions. But first, let's go into what really happened in Game 1, which let's be honest, the, the storyline from Game 1 was it was blowout central. Five of the eight games ended in a 20-plus scoring margin. Do you think this is going to be the story of Round 1 where we're just going to have a bunch of blowouts, or is it more of an anomaly that we saw you know, from all these blowouts and it's really going to be more competitive going
0: forward? Well, I mean, you and I both picked... Uh, we'll just talk about a couple of the blowouts first. You and I both had picked Golden State, I think, in five over Houston. Is that correct? Right. You had them in five. So I, did. I think you probably you yeah, but you're probably playing the same long shot that I'm playing, and that's like a fifty-point James Harden game, and Golden State yep. just has an off shooting okay. night, something like that. Okay, so so there's that. So we kind of I expect them to lose these other games like this. And the same thing with OKC. I think you had OKC winning in six. I had them winning in five. I kind of almost expect the same thing because I am just haven't been high on Dallas all season. It's been no secret. Um, and, again, with the San Antonio and Memphis thing, Memphis is just so beat up and San Antonio is so good and so precise that I, I kind of see the series going that way. The one that really shocked me the most is that Charlotte and Miami won. I think that right. one was kind of almost out of nowhere. But Charlotte struggles now in the playoffs. We're seeing the numbers. And you know, I, I think some of the other ones are business as usual, but I expect these—I expect all these Eastern series to to be kind of close. I, I, even the Detroit and Cleveland one.
1: I, I agree. I do think it is sort of an anomaly. Game one is always a strange sort of kind of. It, it, it's hard, and I know in the playoffs, a lot of times what happens is sort of game game to game. It sort of becomes a new narrative. So. Anytime game one starts, it's like, oh, this team blew them out in game one. This is going to, you know, we start talking about a sweep. Like, oh, my God, is this team going to get swept? And, you know, you got to be careful doing that. I remember, you know, as a net fan, I remember a few years back when they played the Bulls in, in round one and the Nets blew them out by, like, 20. And I sort of did that partially because I wasn't used to my team being in the playoffs and being a good team. So when they won game one like that, you know, I actually, like, remember I was at a bar. I remember what bar I was at, where I was sitting and stuff like that. I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, my, my wow, are the Nets, you know, how far are they going to go? They're going to be so good. I can't believe this. This is happening. And then the Bulls end up winning the series in seven games just because game, you know, one game, it's sort of like the home team is supposed to win game one. That's how I feel. Like, they're supposed to win game one. If they, if they blow them out, they're really, yeah, they're catching the momentum a little bit. But, you know, it, it it's hard to sort of, like, use that to give the story for the rest of the series. And I think – to say that, I think a lot of these series are going to be more competitive. Like, for example, I think Portland, who lost by 20 to the Clippers, I think they're going to be much more competitive. I think that's, that could be a series where one team holds home court and then the other team holds home court, and you go to game five in Los Angeles with it being 2-2. But I agree that the one that really surprised me was the Miami Heat. You know, I've sort of talked all season, and I know both of us have talked all season how, Miami is sort of just that X-factor team. You don't know who they are because even with the addition of Joe Johnson, it's like they're a completely different team as far as how serious they can be contending. And I'm curious if, if that game showed you anything. Did you really think like, okay, maybe this team can be a contender, or is it, again, sort of painting one game to kind of be the, the story of like this team?
0: I mean, I do agree with you in a sense of, of the – the game one is kind of – because I feel like everybody's trying to test the waters a little bit and you almost right. – you know, you don't know. It's kind of like the first week of the NFL season, the first regular season week. Everybody's just kind of – I don't want to say necessarily playing it safe like you would say with the NFL. But people are – you know, you're, you're feeling that other team out. You're seeing what you're going to get, what they're going to give. But I I do – I am I am baffled a little bit by the, the Hornets heat series in particular, that game one, just because – Miami looked to play about how I expected Miami to play. I mean, I expected Miami a bunch of guys. You're talking, you know, a Wade-led team, guys who are used to playing basketball. Joe Johnson, I mean, he's been with the Nets now for a few seasons, but Joe Johnson's been there in the playoffs before. He's played with Atlanta in the playoffs. He's a a vet. I just feel like Charlotte had a really, really, really bad game, and I feel like, to me, that's the story more than anything. Um, I, I mean, you watch the game. It, it was it was porous. I mean, their shooting was terrible. Was awful. Um, uh, Nick Patum, I mean, maybe still favoring that ankle a little bit. Uh, I know he was questionable coming up to the game and stuff like that. And, I mean, Patoom's arguably been their best player some nights. And between him and uh, Kemba Walker had a, a atrocious game, too. Al Jefferson lost the, the big man battle. Uh, I, that's going to be the big thing for me is I think Al Jefferson's just this old kind of Zach Randolph shell of himself and he's playing against a young athletic pogo stick of a guy in Hussein same white side who blocks shots and I just feel like that's a really bad matchup and that matchup is going to hurt them the entire series but Miami I mean Justice Winslow uh, he gave them some big efforts Luol Dang was flawless it was funny because I was just telling my buddy who's a Heat fan last week I said I don't know man I said that matchup could get a little crazy at the wing but has been playing good and Luol Dang's not himself anymore And then he goes 11 of 13 and 31 points. So I I am baffled. I look for Charlotte to improve their shooting woes and and turn it around next game, but we'll see.
1: It's an interesting series because it it sort of reminds me last year, maybe the year before, I think it was the the year before where Chicago played Washington in the first round. And you sort of had that veteran team with a lot, you know, that that's, maybe not the most talented team. I mean, granted, Chicago also had an injury, you know, the injury bug, which maybe Miami doesn't have as much. And then you have this this new team to the playoffs in the Wizards that sort of has a younger core, maybe hasn't really been to the playoffs before, has a couple of guys that have been to the playoffs, like a Batum, you know, in, in the example of the Wizards, um, I believe. I want to say Nene had been to – I mean, even a guy like Paul Pierce, you know, obviously is, is probably a better example. And you know, I sort of picked Chicago in that series because I thought that you know the veteran leadership was going to you know play out. It Washington ended up winning that series, and I'm curious if that, if this series is sort of going to take what I thought was going to be that series, and where you pick the you know the veteran team that sort of has the playoff experience versus other team that kind of is getting their feet wet in the playoffs. But let's get into sort of our first round predictions, and let's start with the East. Um, so we both. We have all the same teams except for one series, which I want to discuss. But, you know, we both have Cleveland winning. You have them in six. I had them in five, even though I've been higher on the Pistons all season than you have, which is strange that I kind of picked them to go out in five. We both have Toronto in six. Now, the Miami series, you have it in seven. I have it in six. And then the last one, which is the one we disagree on, um, Atlanta-Boston, you have Atlanta in six. I have Boston in seven. Um, I want to talk about the the Boston-Atlanta series, but first, let's go into the Toronto series because we both had Toronto winning, and obviously it's one-one now. But the first game is was sort of an obviously an upset. You know, the seven seed came on the road. Paul George had an amazing game. Did that sort of change the way you felt about the series as, as far as the way you picked it?
0: No, I mean I, I'm still comfortable. With the with the prediction, I, I mean, I still feel like Charlotte or not Charlotte, Toronto is the better team. I I it was just a very Toronto thing that happened. I mean, the, we, and we see the stat line on that now too. You, how could you possibly not? It's you know, it's in your face everywhere. But I I just feel like that was the ultimate Paul George game, and right. I said it on Twitter. When you have the best player in the series, and you know, I I think Demar Derozan's great and Kyle Lowry great. But Paul George is the best player in that series, and he's going to have some games where he just dictates the entire flow, and he did it that game. And Lowry and uh, DeRozan helped by being atrocious. Uh, the two of them looked like they should have been playing for the Hornets that night. Uh, I feel like that that's the jitters to me still because I feel like those two guys being the team leaders, all they could kind of think about is last year. Last year, you know, they, they had the home the home game in the first round against Washington. And it just kind of never really felt like they were the home team in that series. It always felt like Washington dictated everything. And they hung around, but it, it didn't feel like it was their series. And I think as the, the better seed, you have to establish that early. And while they didn't necessarily in that first game with, with Paul George – I feel like they will. I think the, the ship can will or will be turned, and, and I think Toronto still wins the series.
1: The thing that really surprised me about that game is, is something that you're touching on. It's sort of how fragile this Raptors team still is. You, you know, you think that a team that overachieved this season is the two seed would have a little more confidence, and it didn't take long into game one to realize that this team still sort of has that identity of, Not that they're waiting to fold, but, you know, when they get, you know, faced with adversity and the the other thing that came abundantly clear to me, which I guess I knew before the series started, but you sort of think that maybe the the combined star power of Lowry and DeRozan might overshadow Paul George in terms of how it plays out on the court, sort of like a two-on-one sort of thing if you want to make it that simplistic, but it became very clear early in this in the series and even in game two wh- even though the Raptors won that Paul George is the best player in the series and the, the one thing that made me uncomfortable about how I picked it was picking Toronto in six means essentially that they're going to go on the road you know up three two because obviously if there's a game six somebody's up three two and they're going to win in Indiana and I don't know if I trust this team to do that yet so that's the only thing that it kind of made me regret. I sort of feel like the this ga- this series might go seven in the sense that I think Toronto might need to be on their home court and actually have the confidence to to win that game, and I don't know if they're going to be able to do that in Indiana. So that was the only thing that, that sort of changed my mind a little bit, you know, just watching the first two games. But let's get into the the boston atlanta series because it is a series that we disagreed on like i said you have the hawks winning i have the celtics winning obviously it's a four or five matchup so it's not like we're picking any you know big upsets over one another but why why atlanta for you why atlanta over boston
0: i mean i think some of it had to do um with the fact that this team has again more of the vets like i was just speaking about versus, you know, some of the young guy. I mean, if you really look at Boston's team, the guys who step up and who lead this team, uh, a- Avery Bradley, uh, rest in peace to your hamstring, has, yeah. uh, you know, he's, he's been around a little bit. But Isaiah Thomas is a, is a young guy who's never really played meaningful basketball. I mean, playing with the Suns and playing with uh, the Kings, we know those teams don't generally play meaningful basketball. Uh, Jared is a young guy. Kelly Olynyk. Uh, Marcus Smart. I mean, you got Evan Turner's on this team. So just going down through their roster, I I don't know if I can trust those guys to get it done. I think Isaiah Thomas, let me just say that I I don't care, you know, how – Many times he's been there and those things I just said against him, I think that he kind of perseveres over that because he's just such an electric player. But overall, I just don't think they can match. I mean, you're talking Al Horford and Paul Millsap and even, I mean, Jeff Teague broke out a couple years ago in the playoffs and Korver. And you just have these guys that I'm a little more familiar with and I trust a little more. Plus, I think Atlanta won the season series three games to one, which kind of helps – guide my, my way a little bit. Don't tell the Cavaliers that because I picked them despite losing 3-1 to one against the Pistons in the regular season, but that, that's my story, Frank.
1: Shout out to the Pistons who played a very competitive game one, though my Reggie Jackson lighting Kyrie Irving up for this series prediction isn't... You're, you're not exactly helping me out, Reggie, in those, those last few minutes with all the turnovers, but... To get back to the series, I don't want to completely flip-flop on my pick, but Avery Bradley going out for the entire series really is a damaging blow to the Celtics, and I don't think it could be underrated. I mean, he may be the – I don't want to say the most important because I I think Isaiah Thomas and, and Jay Crowder sort of are like 1A, 1B on that team, but Avery Bradley is such a core piece of that group, especially because their identity, especially in a playoff series, would be their defense, and if you take away their best defensive guard, it it, it does really hinder them the only positive point is I think that they have like an Avery Bradley light in Marcus Smart so I think Marcus Smart taking on a bigger role for this team can give them you know an aspect of what Avery Bradley you know what they're going to miss with Avery Bradley being out to me and the other thing I want to say obviously is uh, Paul Millsap is a really a player that we personally I think have neglected as well you know we'd like to sort of recognize these guys and maybe don't get recognized in the in the media you know in the national storylines and I think that we really have done Paul Millsap an injustice you know this season because we have not talked about the amazing season that that he had you know this year I mean he should be on an all NBA team whether it's you know second team or third team I don't I don't know if you can make a case for him for first team especially with Kawhi and LeBron James in the league
0: but, no, he's got to he's got to sit on the the second team bench with uh, Kevin Durant. Shout out KD. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think that has to be the case. But you know, I I really do have I have faith in this Boston team because I think that they can pinpoint certain strengths of this Atlanta Hawks team, especially when you take into effect that Kyle Korver has not been Kyle Korver this season, and he's not. You don't really have to worry about him as much as you did in previous seasons. So I think Brad Stevens is a good enough coach that you can sort of stop Paul Millsap. Like, if, you know, Paul Millsap really has been the core of this team this season, and I think that Atlanta like, kind of over-relies on him now. And I think that you, if you can stop that, I don't know if Jeff Teague and Al Horford really are enough to to get past more of a collective team in, in the Celtics. So that that's the reason why I picked the Celtics. But let's move on because we got to move on to the West. Well, real, let real quick, can deal. I get a final thought? Yeah. So, yeah final
0: final thought, final thought. Boston needs to start quicker. They had a really bad first half yeah, followed uh, by a really good second half, and they fell short by one point. That, that, that was my key.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it, it, but you do see that this team can come back. I mean, they did it in the last game of the regular season. So I, I, I like the perseverance of this team as well. All right, Western Conference. We got Golden State. We both have Golden State in five, San Antonio in four. I don't think we really want to talk about the San antonio Memphis se- series. That's a, that's a sweep. That's a sweep if there ever was one. You have Bo in five. Yeah. OKC in five, I had OKC in six, and then you had the Clippers in six, and I had the Clippers in five. So we sort of you know, flip-flopped the game amounts on, on the OKC Clippers series. Um, I don't think we really need to talk about Golden State and Houston, considering that Houston really couldn't come very close to Golden State even without Steph Curry. So I, I think we kind of had that one in pocket. We might be a little generous giving them a game. So let's talk about the OKC series because I want to – to really talk about what happened last night where we had sort of what we talked about at the beginning of the game, beginning of the show. You had game one where OKC smoked them. And then you have sort of game two where adjustments come into play and then you have a great coach in Rick Carlisle and a team really that was feisty, you know, from the beginning and really came out and stole a game in OKC. So what do you really think about the layout of, of that series as far as so you pick them in five. Do so you think they're going to win the next three straight or are you sort of kind of getting in a little bit of a flip-flop mode
0: here. I mean, we could see a game six, I suppose. I still think it's going to be five. I mean, I I think that this game was a, the game two, the 85-84 to 84 victory for Dallas was a little bit of an anomaly. And the only reason I say that is, and I'm going to look at the scores again, OKC never managed to score more than 23 points in any particular quarter. That's uncharacteristic of the team. The team, we know they have the firepower. And Dallas did the same thing. Well, they scored 26 in the fourth quarter, but they just kind of lulled through the game too. And I, if you have to rely on games like this to beat the Oklahoma City Thunder, I don't think it happens too many times because the Mavericks, you know, don't really seem to be able to to score a ton in this series. So we'll see. But I, I, I'm going to stick with my five.
1: Yeah, the other thing is, I think we can. This is my hot take of, of the whole show. If you take nothing away from the show, take this away. I don't think Kevin Durant's going to shoot for, seven for thirty-three again. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I know. Yeah. Uh, somebody hire me. But you know, the the other thing is, one thing I did notice in favor of OKC was the the plays they drew up at the end. And I know we like to clown OKC about those last-minute plays, and certainly they deserved it for some of those plays that they drew up, like getting Russell Westbrook a three, who is. Um, Actually, I found this out. I was listening to, I believe, a Bill Simmons podcast, and Russell Westbrook is like the fourth worst three-point shooter in the history of the league. (laughs) And so if you're drawing up a a three-point shot for him when it's a tie game and there's 40 seconds left with an obvious situation where you do not need a three-point shot, and to draw up that kind of play is just ridiculous. But the other thing is that even though Kevin Durant had a bad game, they got him a wide-open jumper late in that game, I believe, was the possession after that. And he just, you know, sometimes guys miss a shot, and I think, you know, Jeff Van Gundy always says this, it's like a results-oriented league. If, if Kevin Durant makes that shot, I think the story the story today is like, oh, wow, have they solved the, the the crunch time problem, blah, 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 blah. You know, is Billy Donovan a better coach than Scotty Brooks? But, you know, I really think that that is something that, that can benefit them going forward, and I, I don't see Dallas with their personnel sort of really threatening them. But I, I think that we're, we're, we still are seeing those issues for OKC, and we've always talked about this with them. They can beat the Dallases of the world. You know, they can beat the sort of the seven seeds, the eight seeds of the world. But how does OKC beat San Antonio? How do they beat Golden State? How do they really threaten to be contenders? Because they're not in this for a conference final. They're not in this to win a first-round series. You know, they need to win. And I don't think that we've seen that
0: from them. And they need to act like men when they lose a game, too. Like, I, I have major issues when you throw a fit, especially when you're the franchise player or players and you throw a fit. It's it's not. It's like the older guys on a Little League team throwing a fit in front of the young kids. It's just, it's just not conducive to winning.
1: Absolutely. So what I want to close with for the, for the playoffs is we can get into the Clippers series, but you know, with the, what we've had so far, which team has really impressed you the most, whether it's, you know, it could be team in a losing effort, for example, like I was really impressed with the Pistons, you know, kind of going toe for toe with Cleveland and Cleveland. I don't think that would be my pick, but which, which team really has impressed you the most in the early going here?
0: You know, I, I really, I think the Pistons too, Um, you know, and I don't want to sound generic, so I won't go that route. I, I think, obviously, the Pacers, um, I, because for me personally, Toronto became that team that maybe, like, 20 games or 15 games left. I kind of started to believe, man, maybe Toronto has a little, you know, they have bars for the Cavs. But, you know, they obviously they came back out and they won – they won the second game, which, you know, is obviously super important. You you can't lose both games at home like that. And you know, they did it by twelve points or ten points or whatever. But obviously shout out to Indiana and Paul George. I, I think they might be able to get another one and and they're they're the team right now where I'm I'm thinking they they might be the upset alert. It, it, only because nobody else really looks like they're going to be, but I, I think Indiana has a, a legitimate chance to to ruffle some feathers here. For the Raptors, and I just made a joke because Raptors used to have feathers. <laughs> Bars. <See that>? <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> the team I'm going with is is once again a, a pretty much a hot take. I'm actually going with the Warriors. Uh, I think, especially without <laughs> Steph Curry, you know, it's something that we really talked about at length last you know last week. I think it was last week, yeah, when we when we did the Warriors we sort of you talked about you know CJ Watts and Quiet Storm being on this team instead of Steph Curry and saying yeah. you know how they would be the third best team in the West still and i think that we saw a glimpse of that without Steph Curry sort of what this team They didn't even like. have CJ.
0: And
1: yeah, they did, you know. I mean, he he was uh he was there in spirit, i'm sure. Uh <laughs> brewing quietly like like a Storm does. And but we sort of saw what this team could look like and how it's bigger than one individual person, and specifically something that you touched on, we saw Clay Thompson, sort of what he would look like as the best player on the team, or as maybe not the best player, but the go-to offensive option, I I guess I'll put it that way. And, you know, we saw that Houston, who's a talented team, I mean, granted they don't really uh, maximize their talent, but, you know, Houston's a team that you would think could beat the Warriors without their best player. They have the talent to do that. And not only did they not do so, but they really never even came close last night. And I think that's a testament to the Warriors and, again, to sort of the collective, bigger than even one part, even the MVP. So that was something that, that really did impress me. So we are going to get into the closing of our show. As we know, every week, like Daisy once said, we don't believe you, we need more people. And every week, somebody in the NBA fits that mold Andy, who needed more people this week?
0: <laughs> I think it was Lance Stevenson on that play where Kawhi Leonard was dinging him up, and he really, really, really wanted the ball. But he wanted the ball more than he wanted to get freed up to receive the pass. And out of frustration, he—I think he yelled at his teammate. I'm not entirely sure who he was mad at, but he freaked out a little bit. Come on, born, born ready. You got to get a little more open than that. What Kawhi plays too hard of a defensive scheme on you, Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> she well. no, I I can't
1: I can't trash any any Grizzlies just because I felt so, I feel so bad for the Grizzlies. Even before the, the first ball tipped off I felt bad for, for Memphis just because I knew it was just gonna be ugly. Um I am going with Charlie Villanueva. If it wasn't bad enough, your, your legacy was linked to Ben Gordon and Kevin, Kevin Garnett 3-0-ing you on and off the court saying you look like a chemo patient. You stepped to Russell Westbrook and you tried to disrespect the God during his pregame dance and you found out it's evil to live backwards, word to loaded Lux. You know, born ready. we love you. Charlie Villanueva, we don't, but Jay-Z would like a word.
0: Well, we don't believe you. You need more people.
1: All right, quickly before we end the show, Andy, what, what are you looking forward to tonight? So we got Atlanta and Boston and then a uh, Memphis-San Antonio sort of uh, beatdown. But what, what is something that you're looking forward to tonight in the game?
0: I'm looking forward to getting to bed early tonight um, because I don't need to watch that second game, no, no, really, honestly, I, I kind of am really looking forward to, to not having to watch that Spurs game, but I, I'm looking forward to everything about the Atlanta Boston series. This is quietly becoming my favorite series, and I hope that the game tonight is is going to make that come true and and be. I would love to see seven games. Yeah,
1: I, I am also looking forward. You yes, actually still may answer. I'm looking forward to an early bedtime. And with that, that is why we recorded early. And with that, we will close our show. As we tell you every week, please join us next week. So as we continue our journey around the NBA and talk more playoffs, uh, we're adding something. Make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Podcast. We will live tweet. Meaningless summer league games. We'll do all kinds of great stuff. But we will close, as we always do, with the great philosopher Jason White Chocolate Williams, who once probably thought basketball is a lot like last call at the bar, sometimes better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night.